Hey, Rarecast listeners, I wanted to let you know that Global Genes Report Next 2022, Redefining the Possible, is now available for free download. This is our annual report on the rare disease landscape. Learn how patients are taking ownership of their own data, how artificial intelligence and new sequencing technologies are accelerating the diagnosis of rare diseases, and how patient organizations are moving up the value chain and taking an increasingly active role in drug development. To download the report, go to the Global Genes website, globalgenes.org, and under the Resources tab, click on Media Hub. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Aristea Therapeutics was spun out of AstraZeneca to develop medicines for rare immunologic disorders. Its lead program in development is an experimental therapy for a rare skin condition that causes repeated outbreaks of painful pustules on the hands and feet, and it's being looked at for other neutrophil-mediated diseases. We spoke to James McKay, President and CEO of Aristea, about the decision to form the company its lead therapy and development, and its collaboration and development deal with Arena Pharmaceuticals that gives its partner an option to acquire it outright. James, thanks for joining us. Uh, It's a pleasure, Danny. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about Aristea Therapeutics, its focus on rare immunological disorders, and its lead candidate for a rare skin condition. Let's start with the formation of the company. Aristea was spun out of AstraZeneca in 2018. What was the vision for the company? Yeah, sure. So so Aristea Therapeutics is uh, an immunology-focused uh, clinical stage um, biotech. Um, I was a, a, a long-term AstraZeneca executive. I'd been with the company for nearly 30 years and uh, decided, you know, it was time after a fantastic career at AstraZeneca to start up my own biotech. So um, I started up Aristea Therapeutics in August 2018. Um, We raised $15 million from Novo Ventures. They were the sole investor in the the Series A. And we licensed a a CXCR2 antagonist called RIST4721 from AstraZeneca. And um, that molecule was a molecule I've been very familiar with at my time at AstraZeneca. It was um, had been being developed for respiratory indications before that program had been uh, terminated a number of years ago for portfolio prioritization reasons. And I'd always liked the uh, the molecule. Always felt that you know it did what it was meant to do from a mechanism of action perspective and really felt that it was a a drug in search of a disease. So, you know, we decided to license that. We wanted to uh, have Aristea Therapeutics focus on developing um, therapeutics for serious inflammatory um, conditions. Um, And we felt that RIS4721 was the perfect basis for that. 
And is the the sense that this is a pipeline in a product, or is there the expectation that you're going to build other immunological therapies behind it? Yeah, actually, both, Danny. It it is a pipeline in a product, and I, I'm sure we'll we'll get into that in a little bit more detail as we uh, as we go through the the discussion. We're planning to uh, develop RIST 4721 in multiple different um, diseases, but we are also very active as a company um, in looking to bring additional immunology-based um, assets into the company that we can repurpose and, and focus on rare um, inflammatory um, conditions. So really both a pipeline in a product and also developing a pipeline within the company. So your lead candidate is an experimental therapy in development for pomoplantar pustulosis or PPP. What is PPP? Yeah, so it's a, it, it's a rare um, inflammatory skin condition. Um, it's characterized by um, sterile neutrophil-filled pustules, so um, like sort of blisters on the, on the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet, nowhere else in the body. Um, and it's a flaring disease, so patients will, will have a flare, um, um, you know, they, the pustules will appear, um, the skin becomes very inflamed, um, the pustules then start to dry out, uh, the skin cracks open, um, uh, the inflammation continues, and even before the patients have a chance to completely resolve the flare, they'll actually get another flare. So they often get six to eight flares a year, um, and so they'll get another flare before they get resolution of the previous one, and you get this sort of vicious flare upon flare upon flare situation where the skin becomes more inflamed, becomes very cracked, extremely painful because these pustules um, we're very close to the nerve endings um, in the in the skin on the hands and the feet, and clearly being on the hands and the feet is very debilitating for these patients. Obviously, a stigma associated with it if it's on the hands uh, actually prevents people from using their hands to to work. If it's on the feet, it prevents people from um, from walking. So, incredibly debilitating um, condition. Well, go a little deeper on that. I think in the world of rare disease, we're often talking about fatal conditions, conditions that are progressive and degenerative. People can be dismissive of conditions that are not deadly from a quality of life point of view. What is it like to live with PPP? Yeah, these, if you talk to these patients, they'll, they'll tell you that their lives are really miserable because the disease is there all the time um, and they suffer constant pain from the disease. And I understand your comment, um, as you said, in the world of rare diseases, often, you know, we're talking about fatal um, conditions and clearly that's that's terrible um, as well. But these patients really are suffering terribly, um, you know, constant pain, um, constant cracking open of the, the skin, the inability to to do, you know, normal daily activities. So it has a really major impact on uh, on their lives. And just to give you one example, in the first clinical trial that we uh, we did in Canada, we actually had one patient who was prepared to drive five hours to the clinic and five hours back on the same day just to participate in the trial. And they did that every week that we ran the trial. So I think that gives you an indication of how much patients like that are desperate for new therapies that will give them 
at least some relief from this uh, pretty recalcitrant disease that's very difficult to treat. Do patients have treatment options today? Are existing immunological therapies repurposed to treat PPP? Yeah, so what happens is that a patient, you know, when a patient first, you know, has an outbreak um, of these pustules, they'll normally go to their PCP. PCPs don't tend to uh, diagnose this correctly. They'll they'll feel it's some form of psoriasis rather than palmoplantar pustulosis that's a, a specific and unique um, condition. They'll normally treat the patient with topical corticosteroids. It's fairly standard um, treatment initially for a PCP to prescribe. Um, in most cases, that really won't have much impact on the disease. Um, the, the PCP will then refer the patient to a dermatologist. Dermatologists tend to start with oral treatment. So they'll start with um, oral retinoids, maybe cyclosporin, maybe methotrexate. Again, um, no consistent response in these patients. Some of those medications will help some of the patients some of the time, um, but not really a consistent response. And about 50% of dermatologists will actually um, start their patients on off-label psoriasis-approved biologics. Um, so many of the injectable biologics are approved for uh, general um, uh, psoriasis. And the, um, the physicians will use those off-label. And it's, it's a bit like inflammatory bowel disease, where physicians will often cycle through various different therapies trying to get some relief for patients. They'll do the same with PPP. They'll cycle through the off-label psoriasis-approved biologics, trying to find something that will provide some relief for the patients. But again, the response tends not to be um, consistent in, in, in these patients. So there's definitely a significant unmet medical need. Earlier, you mentioned that this is a neutrophil-mediated disease. What role do neutrophils play in the immune system? Yeah, so so neutrophils are they're part of the white blood cells that are part of the innate immune, immune system, and they they really um, perform a role um, in um, in fighting infection um, and also um, uh, inflammation. So um, neutrophils there are two important um, what are called cytokines um, that are responsible for um, the migration and activation of neutrophils. So the first one is, um, is CXCR2, which is what our molecule um, blocks. And CXCR2 is primarily responsible for migrating neutrophils from the bone marrow to the site of infection or, or inflammation in, in the first case. And then CXCR1, which is a different cytokine, our molecule does not impact CXCR1, is responsible for activating the neutrophils um, it's responsible for the oxidative burst that's required um, for those neutrophils to actually fight the inf uh, infection, and which they do by phagocytosis. So basically, they, they engulf the, um, the infection or the foreign body um, in, the, uh, in the body. Um, so neutrophils are very important, um, um, you know, and it's important when we're developing um, a, a molecule like RIST4721, which is a CXCR2 antagonist and stops the, the migration of the neutrophils um, from the bone marrow. It's important that we are able to um, titrate the dose level um, correctly so that we can reduce the movement of the neutrophils to the site of inflammation. But we must retain 
um, um, uh, a certain proportion of the neutrophils in the circulating bloodstream so that they are there and ready to be activated should there need to be an infection. Because the last thing that we want to do is to make is to have patients um, uh, become what is called neutropenic, where they have low levels of neutrophils and they're not capable of fighting an infection. But this is a this is a clearly understood um, potential side effect of a, of a treatment like um, RIST4721, which is a CXCR2 antagonist. So something that you know we're watching uh, very, very closely. Well, what exactly is RIST4721 and how does it work? Yeah, it's what's called a, a CXCR2 antagonist. So it blocks the, um, the CXCR2 receptor on the neutrophils. And in the immune system, there are uh, molecules called cytokines that will activate um, uh, CXCR2 by linking to the receptor. And I think in, in the case of CXCR2, there are seven different cytokines that will activate that. Our molecule actually blocks all seven of those cytokines. Um, so we'll actually stop the neutrophils leaving the bone marrow and going to the to the site of inflammation. And we believe that for diseases where the neutrophils are playing a key role um, in uh, in that disease, that this is a, this is a, a really potentially um, promising therapeutic approach to take. What's known about the safety and efficacy of the molecule from studies that have been done to date? Yeah, so, so far, you know, when we uh, licensed the molecule, AstraZeneca had, um, had already completed the phase one studies. So single ascending dose, multiple ascending dose. Um, they had seen um, in those studies that the, the drug was well tolerated, um, that it did cause a, a reduction, uh, a dose-related reduction in the level of peripheral uh, neutrophils in the uh, peripheral blood. Subsequent to that, we've conducted a phase 2A study in PPP patients. Um, we saw um, nice activity of the molecule in those patients and saw a you know, good reduction in the disease um, severity, um, particularly in patients who were actively flaring as they came into that trial. So the data that we've generated from that is very promising in terms of um, what we'll see from an efficacy perspective in, in longer term studies. And then from a, a safety perspective, um, you know, we did see some um, side effects, mostly in the gastrointestinal and musculoskeletal um, systems, um, but all the um, what are called treatment emergent adverse events, they were all mild um, in, in nature. We did have two um, um, examples of patients who had an adverse event of neutropenia, as I talked about earlier, um, but both those patients um, continued to take drug um, throughout the, the trial and did not get into the um, level of neutropenia where physicians start to, to become concerned. Um, so they were able to continue taking the drug. And then when the trial completed and the drug was um, stopped, they actually went back to normal within a few days. Um, and then apart from, um, you know, the effect that we see on the neutrophils, there's really no other notable changes in the, the hematological parameters or any, um, you know, uh, effects on uh, liver function, renal function. So overall, you know, a very tolerable um, um, drug and, you know, good signs of efficacy in, uh, in these initial studies.
And what's the development path forward? When might you be in a position to file for approval if all goes well? Yeah, so we um, we were successful in the middle of last year in um, closing a, a $63 million Series B um, funding round, uh, which was led by Fidelity, um, a participation from Novo Ventures, our existing um, investor, and then uh, new investors, Tecla Capital and Arena Pharmaceuticals. And that's allowed us to, um, to move forward um, into a large um, three-month uh, phase 2B study um, that actually started screening patients last month. And we expect to see data from that study about the middle of next year, so in about 18 months' um, time. That's a dose-ranging study where we're, um, it's a placebo-controlled double-blind dose-ranging. So we're looking at three arms, a placebo arm, um, a 200-milligram RIST-4721 arm, and a 400 milligram wrist 4721 arm. Um, so that's going to give us good data about um, you know two different um, dose levels of wrist 4721 with a treatment period of three months, which will you know equip us then to um, you know have further discussions with the regulatory authorities, including the FDA and the European authorities, and then move into uh, a phase three program with the potential. Um, you know, to have this molecule available uh, probably in the 2026, 20, 27 um, timeframe. You mentioned Arena's participation in your Series B round. Uh, Arena also entered into a collaboration with Aristia uh, around RIST 4721. It provided $60 million in an upfront payment and, and took uh, the equity stake as well. It does have an option to acquire Aristia. Why? Did you do the deal? Yeah, so we had been talking to Arena for really quite a long time. So um, I, we founded the company in August 2018. I think our first discussion with Arena was around about January 2019. So less than six months after we started the company. And at that time, they were really just developing their dermatology franchise. Um, so we, we continued to talk with them. Um, and you know they continued to familiarize themselves with the with the molecule and what we were doing with the program. I think what attracted us to Arena was that they really understood what we were doing. So if we think about RIST 4721, its mechanism of action and how it impacts neutrophils, um, it's very similar in a way to um, Arena's lead molecule, atrazomod, and the effect that it has on lymphocytes. So um, from a mechanism of action perspective and how we were um, using that mechanism of action to target neutrophil-mediated diseases, Arena understood completely what we were trying to do. And we saw that there was you know, good synergy um, there in terms of the scientific capabilities of the Arena team and the Aristea team. And obviously, the, um, uh, by striking the deal, we brought in a significant amount of non-dilutive cash into the company, which we're now using to, to look for and acquire additional assets. In addition to that, it also brought in some $10 million of non-dilutive R&D cash that allowed us to extend the number of um, diseases that we're investigating from three to five. So as well as um, currently we were uh, at Aristea, we were planning to continue the PPP program 
and then look at two other neutrophil-mediated diseases, familial Mediterranean fever and Bechet's disease, which are both rheumatology conditions. But with the arena money, we're now expanding that to five different diseases. So we'll do a phase two proof of concept study in hydratinitis suprativa, which is another inflammatory skin condition. And then ARENA themselves are going to do an inflammatory bowel disease study um, with RIST 4721. So we're going to have five indications um, running in parallel through this year and into the middle of next year. Um, and, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, um, you know, definitely a, a portfolio and a product approach. And, um, you know, so that's why we did the deal with ARENA. It's resulted in the company being well capitalized um, at a time when public markets are uh, and money is is somewhat challenging to to access. How are the two companies dividing responsibilities and and how closely are you working together? Is there a a point of a clear handoff or is there kind of a joint development now going on? Yeah, so so Aristea Therapeutics remains accountable for the development of RISC 4721. So we're still acting independently um, with that respect. In addition to the um, you know the three indications or diseases that we were studying, um, the two new diseases, um, um, hydratinitis suprativa or HS, um, Aristea Therapeutics is running that study and ARENA is running the inflammatory bowel disease um, study. In addition, ARENA is also doing um, some manufacturing um, work for us in terms of um, you know, how, to, how to best manufacture the active pharmaceutical ingredient um, and, the, um, and the ultimate um, tablets that we give um, patients. Um, and uh, the two companies work very closely together. So we have weekly meetings. Um, so it's truly a, truly a collaboration. You know, we share with each other, um, you know, our plans for each of the particular studies. Um, you know, we review key documents um, that each of us has produced and are going to submit to regulatory authorities. So it's a very close collaborative um, but, you know, with Aristea retaining um, ultimate accountability for the development of RIST 4721. And in addition to pursuing additional indications, are you bringing any other molecules in behind? Yeah, this is an area where we're very active right now. Um, so as I said at the beginning of the, our discussion, you know, we're an immunology focused company. Um, so we're spending quite a bit of time, you know, looking for other immunology molecules that we can bring into the company, um, either small uh, molecules or biologics. Um, we're very active right now. We agreed a, um, a term sheet with another biotech at the end of um, December. We're currently in a, um, an exclusive due diligence phase. Um, we have two other term sheets that are currently under negotiation um, and a couple of other molecules that we're just starting due diligence on. And I would have said overall, you know, at any point in time, we've got 15 to 20 different molecules that we're looking at at various different stages. And, you know, we'll work our way through evaluating you know, do we believe that those molecules are molecules that we think can be developed into successful drugs? And then, you know, based on the mechanism of action, you know, which diseases should we focus on, particularly given our focus is rare inflammatory diseases. So often we'll 
will repurpose the molecule um, into one of those diseases, just in the same way as we did with RIST 4721 when we licensed that. And are there formal decision points under the collaboration? At, at what point will ARENA need to decide about marketing RIST 4721 or acquiring Aristea? Yeah, so, um, so ARENA has an exclusive option to acquire um, Aristea Therapeutics, as you indicated. That option is triggered by the delivery of the data from the phase 2B PPP study. Um, so as soon as we've delivered that data package, then ARENA has a 60-day period to, to review that data and make a decision about whether to exercise the option. Um, ARENA can, however, um, if they so wish, it's at their discretion, they can also exercise the option at any other time prior um, to that. But the delivery of the phase 2B PPP data is the, the thing that really triggers the review of the option by, by ARENA. James McKay, President and CEO of Aristea Therapeutics. James, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thanks very much for having me on, Danny. It's been great to talk with you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.